Hello and welcome to the Legendary Leaders Podcast, where we chat all things leadership and personal development related, absolutely authentically and unscripted. On this podcast, my guests and I are going to introduce you to ideas and concepts that show how you can move past your fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage and motivate you on your journey to becoming a legendary leader yourself with more impact, influence and inspiration. So, are you ready for it? Welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen Merkel and I am the host of this show. Today, another amazing guest here with me. His name is Tony Chapman and he is a leadership speaker, author, and corporate relationship expert. One of the topics we're going to touch on in far more detail today, how to build relationships, why are relationships so important and that you can actually do anything and you can have any skill, any capability. But if the relationship isn't right and you don't invest in authentic relationship and what authenticity means in this case, we're going to talk about today as well, then you are not going to be as successful as you may want to be. Relationships do matter. So it's important that we really invest in those. So he's got a real passion for teaching leaders and teams how to build emotional and business bridges and tackle tough diversity conversations as well. Today, this is another topic we will be touching upon. How can we really integrate into businesses the topic around diversity and inclusion more? We are going to talk about what does each individual need to do? Who needs to take responsibility to move it from a piece of paper, basically, on the agenda into reality? And why is it so important to make it an everyday topic, right? Black Lives Matters uh, has been huge this year and has been discussed so much. But what does it mean really for different organizations? What does it mean for all of us as individuals working with or in organizations? And how can we translate it into our own very, very unique and individual situation? We're also going to talk about the force multiplier. Tony has written a book called The Force Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everyone Really Wins. But what does it really mean? What is a force multiplier? And that brings us to his story as well, from uh, being a chemical engineer to becoming a renowned speaker and trainer in his field. We're going to touch on far more leadership topics as well. I mentioned already diversity and inclusion. I mentioned relationships. We are going to talk about communication, about speaking and storytelling, about being real when on stage, when interacting with other people, it's easier said than done. And that we also need to really understand what it is we really want to do. He acts with passion. He talks with passion. He has many, many examples he can share. And that is one of the secrets of his success. He has found his sweet spot. So how can you find your sweet spot? How do you know when you are passionate about something, when the thing you are doing, the role you have is the right role, right? And when you have this real feeling of, yes, I'm in the right place. So um, another topic for today's show, I'm sure you're going to enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording this episode and really enjoyed the company of Tony. He is absolutely fantastic and just has such a fantastic sense of humor. So do dive in 
enjoy. And as always, leave us a review at the end of the episode, please. We would love to hear your feedback on what you liked in particular, what resonated with you, what didn't resonate with you at all. So do let us know, and then we can adjust the upcoming episodes even further with you. Enjoy and speak to you in a moment. So hello, hello, and welcome, Mr. Tony Chapman. Hello. Hey, Kathleen. Fantastic. It's great to have you here. So how are you doing today? Uh, all in all, I'm doing fantastic, honestly. Lovely. How about yourself? Yeah, same, same. And you know what? Over the last few months in this weird COVID-19 year, I had my ups and downs, right? And I thought about, oh, is my profession, is my focus area as needed as it was last year, i.e. leadership? And that down maybe lasted a few seconds when I realized, oh my God, it's needed more than ever. How are you feeling about it, given that you are in a similar space? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A, I think it's been revealed that leadership, at least in its current state, has had its flaws and flaws that because the rest of the world was going so well, it was easy to overlook them. And now I believe that this current situation where I'm gonna describe it because it's not, it's not just COVID, it's not just a racial conversation, mm. it's this incredible cauldron of all of it together. Mm. What it's really done is it's magnified the flaws and revealed the areas you need to go back and be strengthened. Yeah. And so I feel that conversations about leadership are far more important now than they were six months ago. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so with you. And you are the master of having leadership conversations, i.e. talking to your audiences, engaging them, inspiring them. I mean, the testimonials are just incredible. How do you connect with your audiences in this virtual space we find ourselves in? So number one, a lot of my clients are hiring me primarily to do, you know, virtual trainings. And I love it. I thought that I would hate it. And I actually mm -hmm. love it because what we do is we try to replicate being together in a virtual space. And so we're, we're, we're breaking into, you know, your breakout rooms. We're using the chat. We're making it very interactive. But I also think because people aren't physically in the same room, they're a little more vulnerable and a little more free to say things that they may not say if their coworker was sitting next to them. Mm. And so it allows us to have a level of conversation and even at times some anonymity, if they want to send me just a you know, special message, it gives them a chance to say things and ask questions and give me touch points that I would not have had, had we all been in the same room. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, oh, that's, that's so great to hear. I get mixed messages, in all honesty. The messages are, yes, we, we still want to connect. And if we can't connect face-to-face, -face, then let's do it virtually. But at the same time, I notice that more and more people become really tired of the virtual space. So it's really important to engage on a different level whilst being in this, on this platform, whatever the platform is, right? Right, right. So part of it is the people needs don't change right? We're still people. We just are getting it through a different medium. We're getting it through something virtual versus breathing the same air, right? Yeah. Which we may not be breathing the same air <laughs> until it's disinfected for quite a while. Yeah, but, indeed. you know, it's, but the actual needs we have haven't really changed. And the bigger issue, I think people are getting tired of the virtual platforms just because it's overused, right? Mm -hmm. Now people have 
meeting ad nauseum on Zoom or on WebEx or whatever the platform is. And, and you just get tired of it because a lot of it is stuff that's really meaningless. Yeah. But when you give people something meaningful, they connect. You know, so people will say, well, I don't want to sit through a half hour you know, Zoom meeting, but then they'll sit and they'll binge Netflix for three hours because there's something that connects with them on Netflix. So the key for us is to connect with them on this platform. And how do you do that? Hey, what does connection mean to you? How do you connect as well, right? And then how do you do that in your work? When we're together, connection is, it's almost this weird intangible. It's, you know, it's almost like our, our energies or our souls or our spirits that they, they almost mesh and intertwine. That's what happens when we connect. Mm -hmm. And so when we're doing it virtually, Part of it is I have to speak to you like you're here. And so even as I'm looking at you and I'm having this conversation in my mind, I'm not doing this through a screen. I'm doing this here. And you can feel that in the same way that it's been shown that on a phone call, you can actually hear when someone's smiling right? It's, it's been shown. You can hear it. You can feel it. it. It changes how they communicate and it changes the energy. The same thing happens when we're talking right now. And so if I'm just, okay, I'm talking to you on Zoom and say, hey, Kathleen, how you doing? That's very different yeah. than if I'm like, no, I'm really, I want to be connected to you. And I actually have to do it more demonstratively because I'm doing it in two dimensions versus three. And so I'm very aware of that. So I'm making a conscious effort to project more energy for you to absorb it. And that does not mean me being louder or me being quicker or whatever, but it means me magnifying everything that I'm saying because I want to make sure that in the chaos of bandwidth and distractions in your home and everything else that you're connected with me. But then on top of that, It's not just how I say it. It really is what I say, that I can speak from a, a place of authenticity, that I can speak from a place of experience, and that I've pre-vetted what I'm going to say so that I know that what I'm going to say is somehow going to resonate with you. It's not meaningless words, and it's not theory that I read from a book, but it's mm -hmm. real life stuff that's going to hit you where you are today. If yeah. I can do that, then we can connect. I love the authenticity part and the real stuff that you really touched up on, which is so important, especially nowadays. It has always been important, but now to really connect on this different level is absolutely essential. And not everyone has mastered it. Let's be frank. No. Well, no, and you know, let's be frank. Not everyone's mastered speaking when they're in person, you know, I mean, it's not like, well, we had this great, you know, huge pool of people who are awesome. And now we're trying to figure out how to do it in, you know, virtually. It's like, no, some of you guys, you know, I was looking for a reason to log off. I just couldn't do it because I was in the same room, you know? So, you know, it's, it's sad, but that's true. So yeah, it's a different skill set. It really is. And, you know, there are some minor things you could do, like making sure you're looking at the webcam and not at the screen and things like that that. But so I do Facebook lives three times a week. Mm -hmm. I was the beginning of the quarantine. I started doing them daily. And part of it is I wanted to connect with just my, my people, my, my community of people. And part of it was I was getting in reps. I was every day doing something virtual and really managing it through 
a comment section or a chat box. And so there's something about getting in those reps that makes your learning curve faster. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do sometimes wonder what gets in the way of people being able to connect on this authentic level. And I have my assumptions about it uh, and my insights, but what is it that you have observed? What's getting in the way there? Some people don't know what they're talking about. Let's just start with that. There are just some people that it's like, this is, you're clearly trying to figure out how to make a dollar. This is not your topic. You may have read a book or studied it or whatever, but this is not what you do. Okay, so th this is, I'm gonna be my most real self. Mm -hmm. I really care about the people who are listening to what I'm saying. Yeah. And when I say I care about them, I, I care about them. I care that my, what I'm saying is important and it's going to really help them. Not just that I'm getting paid. I care about their time. I care about, you know, a weird thing happened to me. So years, years, and years, and years, and years ago, I was actually working in nonprofit. And I did a lot of ministerial work as well. And I'll never forget, I was talking to a young lady, a young professional. She was a dentist and she and her husband lived in a co-op. And I said, are you guys going to buy a house? She said, we thought about it. But there's something that you said a couple of weeks ago that made us reevaluate all of that. And in that moment, I thought, people are making life decisions based on my words. Mm. That is not something I take lightly. Mm. And so that really, I mean, I took what I said seriously at that point, but after that, I realized everything that I say has the potential to impact someone's life. And so I can't just flippantly throw things out. Yeah. I can't just say things that aren't researched. I can't just, you know, I have to be able to delineate the difference between fact and my opinion, because a lot of people will say their opinion like their fact and people make life decisions. They mm -hmm. invest money. They, they, they change their time because of this. And when you do that, you're really saying, I am not going to be a good steward of your time, of your energy, of who you are as a person. And I feel that we do people a disservice. People are, are number one, often are paying for us to come and speak to them and talk to them. And I feel that if I don't leave a, leave a group of people in a better state than they were when they came in, and that could be intellectually, it could be emotionally, it could be mentally, it could be relationally, whatever, then I haven't fulfilled my job. And if I haven't been careful to make sure that I don't do anything that could damage them and that I'm not irresponsible with it, then I also feel like, man, I really haven't done my job because yeah. that's this dangerous. Do you know what a big part of it is as well? Is to, to listen. What are the concerns of the people that talk to you? What are their desires? What are they not saying? But you're kind of sensing it. You're picking it up, right? Through their body language and so on, your intuition. And that is something I am observing that the listening skills just are not where I would love them to be, that we really pay attention to one another, that we are present. You and I are speaking here on camera, but I can definitely say from my end, how I observe you and also here from my end in terms of distractions, I don't have distractions here. They are switched off because I want to be here with you and offer a great conversation to the audience. But that's really something that we have to focus on more. Talk less, listen a little bit more. Yeah. I, and I think that comes down to what I even said when I was talking about connecting with people and as a speaker. I 
think that people don't value other people enough, right? So I value you. So as you're speaking, I'm listening. I'm not only listening, I'm not thinking about what I'm going to say next. I'm not, you know, over filtering and I'm not doing all those things because I actually care. Right. I think that's what happens is a, we need to care more about what other people think and feel so we can listen. And then B, we have to almost sure up ourselves and patch up ourselves because when we don't listen, often we get into these weird, I don't even, they're not even dialogues anymore. They're like competing monologues, mm-hmm. but we get into them because of our own insecurities, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not secure. And so I've got to show you that I really know what I'm talking about. And even though you said all this stuff, that doesn't matter because it's really about me showing you that I know what I'm talking about. And it's like, oh gosh, really? And I didn't hear a word that you said. And that's what happens. It's great that you mentioned the competing monologues instead of having a deep present dialogue. We've been diving into leadership quite a bit already. So I want to learn more about you as a leader. And before we do that, it would be great to hear from you what makes a great leader from your perspective. I'm pretty sure you're surrounded by them quite frequently. Okay, so a great leader, let me tell you a quick story. Years ago, I had this situation with a really close friend. And I mean, really close friend. Like our our families are connected. He and I are connected. Our children are connected. So you can imagine how I felt when I found out that he was being deployed to Afghanistan for a year, Mm. separated from his family, separated from all of us. And so we had a party, kind of a going away celebration. You know, we're going to stay in touch with you. We're going to make sure your family's needs are taken care of. All these things at my house. And so about 40 of us gathered. We had a great time. We're we're laughing. We're we're talking. We're eating and drinking, all this stuff. And then there came a time where everyone just took some moments to share. And there was one person I was waiting to hear from. He was a high-ranking officer in the U.S. Army, still is. And he said something, though, I wasn't prepared for. He said, you or what we refer to as a force multiplier, because by your very presence, you bring out the best in everything and everyone around. Mm. And in that moment, it kind of, it all hit, right? It was like, that's the vocabulary, that's the nomenclature I've been looking for, because we often think of leadership in terms of, you know, I can create a vision or we have followers or we turn the ship or all this other stuff, but are people better because of your presence? That is great leadership. Great leadership allows people to be better at what they do and better people. And not just a certain portion of people, but being able to connect with all of the different people that are within your circle of influence. Mm -hmm. And that's really what makes it difficult because for most leaders, there are some people that are quote unquote easy to lead and some people that are quote unquote hard to lead. Mm -hmm. And what mediocre leaders do is the people that are hard to lead, they blame the people. But what great leaders do is when there are people that are hard to lead, they say, well, that means there's something I need to develop more so that I can figure out how to lead them as well. And I think that's really what great leadership is all about. I had goosebumps there, Mr. Tony. (laughs) Seriously. I know you wrote even a book about it at some point. So let's talk about that in a moment as well. Mm -hmm. But when you described this person that with their presence, makes other people better themselves. That is just, oh, powerful, right? It's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what we should all strive to be. And, it, yeah. and it's not that you have to walk into a room and be boisterous and everyone looks at you, but there's something about the way you interact with people. There's mm. something about what you connect, you know, how you connect with people. There's something about it that makes people better. It makes people more loyal, makes people more effective. You know, we, yeah. we throw out the word engagement and, you know, engagement's become this huge buzzword, right? Everyone's, what's, you know, we have to be more engaged and fully engaged and disengaged and partially engaged. And people don't really say, okay, so what is engagement? We, we more talk about what are the, the, you know, how do, can you tell when there's engagement? We don't really talk about what is engagement. Mm. And to me, here's what engagement is. And it's in its most simple form. Engagement is how much you care. That's it. How much do you care? Do you really care at all about what's going on? And with that, what do you do because you care? That's engagement. So when people say, you know, when people are more engaged, you know, they take more ownership, you know, they go above and beyond, they're more rationally committed, they're more emotionally committed. All they're saying is, yeah, they care. Yeah. And then when they don't care, they say things like, well, that ain't in my job description because I don't care. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's those two differentiators. I mean, it's those two different, you know, polar opposites. And so a great leader is able to get people to care and they don't have to do it by coercing people, by manipulation, by fear. There's something there that they're able to get other people to care about things that they may not have cared about before or to care at a level that's beyond what they may have previously cared about. But by doing that, and so that's why I say it's not just walking in the room and it's my energy and it's my, it, it, it's something and it's different for all of us. Like it would look different on you than it would look on me, but we're, we're both equally capable of being that person. Yes. 100%. And I often think about leadership in the sense of holistic leadership. It's not a person that you suddenly decide to be because you go to work. You demonstrate leadership if you want to in all areas of your life. And I often compare it with um, to parenthood or friendships. How do you show care there? How do you show that you have an interest in the people? How do you help them feel safe and loved? So what's the difference now at work? Suddenly we have to build up a wall. Suddenly we have to be a different persona. Not necessarily. You operate in a different framework. Absolutely. There are different ways of behaving in different situations, but that doesn't have to change you and who you are. Absolutely. Right? 100%. Yeah. You know, but I think people get caught up into a few different things. People get put into leadership prematurely. Mm -hmm. They're just not ready for it. And then they're not trained for it. They're just, you know, they were good contributors. They were good at doing this. They're, they're technically proficient at a skill. Yeah. And someone said, I'm going to reward you by putting you in leadership. And that could be the absolute worst thing that we've done. And then I'm going to reward you by putting you in leadership and not train you. Oh my mm. goodness. What are you doing? You know, you're setting us up for, for failure. So then they kind of learn leadership, you know, by osmosis. And a lot of times they're, they're observing poor leadership and trying to figure out how to imitate it. Yeah. Then, you know, th there is something to say about, there are people that I know who've tried to be that nice, good person, and it didn't work once. And because it didn't work once, they say, I'm never doing it again. Mm. And so then it's like, I can't be this nice person. I've got to put on this different persona. And there's all of these different, you know, reasons that are all horrible. But, uh, you know, would you, came, would you start off with the holistic leadership? I mean, I think that's, that resonates because the reality is the better a person you are, 
the better a leader you'll be. Correct. Really great leadership transforms the individual to being a great person. Mm -hmm. So what got you into leadership, in particular helping leadership teams or teams in general from the outside? So my story is probably not much different than what I just said. I was a chemical engineer and, yeah. you know, I was trained at engineering, you know, process engineering, surface chemistry, you know, all of these polymer fun stuff. And it didn't take long before I realized in the workplace, those technical skills were very important, but how you connected with people from an individual basis was super important. Mm -hmm. Then as an organization, how great the relationships were either their competitive advantage or their Achilles heel. And yet the problem was for me and for many others, that's not what we focused on in our learning. And that's not what was emphasized to us in our learning. And so I started to say, what I need to do is I need to figure out this relationship thing, this leadership thing, the same way I figured out chemical engineering. I need to become an expert in it because and initially it was for my own good. It wasn't even for, for training and teaching other people. Mm. It was, I need to do this for me. Yeah. And the more I did it, the more it just brought different types of success. And uh, eventually, it, you know, people started asking me questions and started wanting help. And, but, you know, even then I didn't see it as this is my mission in life. It was just, okay, I'm doing other things, but I can still help these other people. Mm. And then there, there came a point where I just realized most people spend more time at work than any place else. Yeah. They spend more time with their coworkers than they do their families. If they're having a miserable time at work, that impacts their life. And one of the greatest things that determines their experience at work is leadership. So now if you can go and say, okay, we're going to create a good leadership experience for the leader and for the people who are being led, that may bleed over into their parenting. That may bleed over into their marriage because now as a person, they're having a better experience for this huge chunk of their time. And in a weird way, it was almost like, you know, I could make the world a better place by making the workplace a better place. Because now, you know, if you're happier at work and you go home, there's a big difference between the happy parent interacting with their child and the unhappy parent. There's a difference between the, the happy spouse or partner interacting with the unhappy spouse or partner. There's, you know, just kind of all over the place. And in a, a weird, almost cliche way, I thought, man, what a way to change the world. Wonderful. We are very much on the same wavelength here. Really, really looking at leadership again from this holistic perspective and making it bigger and better impact on all of these different areas. And it comes back to what you said before and be a good person. Yeah. In spite of how other people are still be yes. a good person. Which is very, very hard because you have to deal with your own emotions and how you react in the moment. You see and experience other emotions that clearly have an effect on you. And at the same time, you're trying to influence them, to support them, to coach them, whatever is needed in that moment. Wow. Respect. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah. let's also acknowledge that this is a, is a really, really tough challenge from time to time, but so much fun behind it as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's leadership is one of the greatest challenges and journeys a person can, can embark on without question. Right. It's one of the most fulfilling, but it will reveal things within yourself that you don't necessarily want to see. And it will cause you 
if you're going to continually get better to address areas that you don't necessarily want to address, mm. but when you do, you will, gosh, what it will do for you and what it will do for the people around you is almost immeasurable. You work with teams and leaders on so many different topics. I think we could probably talk for 24 hours about the different dimensions of leadership. But in summary, what are the core areas you support leaders in? What are you really specialized in? And the last question is, how do you really support those teams and leaders? So what do you see in terms of the difference once you have worked with them? Yeah, my focus areas really are three things. You know, one, kind of that leadership, team building, and that is both the basics, you know, because there really are some basics to leadership. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't get that foundation. That's, you know, you mentioned listening earlier. Mm -hmm. It was really listening that caused me to write the book because I kept hearing the same concerns and complaints over and over again and mm -hmm. realized that there were not enough resources addressing them, right? So this basic idea of leadership, and then within that, how do you lead humans with all of their differences and their complexities? So if you're different than I am, even just from a personality standpoint, how do I need to connect with you in a way that's different than I would connect with someone who's just like me? So that's one area. The second area is how do we deal with change and disruption? Because mm -hmm. I believe that change and disruption, they really magnify the weaknesses of leaders and of teams. Yeah. And so our ability to really address those things and change and disruption, the difference is change is normally planned, disruption just happens. And so now it's like, okay, I got, I'm, I'm behind the eight ball here. I've got to really get moving. And I'm almost in a reactive state because I didn't see this coming. But what that does is, you know, that insecurity and those unknowns, they really impact teams and leaders. And then the third area is in the area of unconscious bias and diversity and inclusion, mm -hmm. which is similar to what I said earlier, because, you know, when we think of diversity and inclusion, we often think of, you know, race, gender, sexuality, disability, those areas. But it really does come down to the fact that we're all different. And yet we don't realize that because of those differences, there have been some obstacles that we need to overcome and we need to, to remove and some predetermined biases that we have to overcome. Yeah. And you know, we could talk forever on bias. That's like my spot that I just, I'm so passionate about it, but you know, biases not only affect things like diversity and inclusion, they just affect overall decision-making. And so, you know, those are the real areas, leadership, change and disruption, then bias and inclusion. Those are the three areas. How do I see teams change, you know, from when I started to when, when we're done, you know, part of it is, is intangible. Part of it is, you know, people are happier. Like I'll challenge leaders and I'll say, okay, I'm going to give you a 30 day challenge. I want you to treat everyone with dignity and respect, regardless of how you treat them for 30 days. And they'll write back and goes, Oh my goodness. It has been such a revelation. This person was difficult and they're not anymore. And this person, you know, they, they kind of gotten on board and we used to be enemies uh, and adversaries and our allies and things of that nature. And then there are some things that are far more tangible. You see productivity change. You see retention change. You see, especially because I work with the United States federal government, you see the number of actual complaints filed being reduced. And then you start to see 
who gets opportunities change. You see the leadership group become more inclusive and you see more women, you see more black people, you see more Hispanic people, you see more people with disabilities or, or everything else, different nationalities, because they were always qualified to do it, but people just didn't see them in that right profile. And so, you know, there are some really tangible differences, but I think that the biggest indicator for me is that 90% of my business is repeat business. That for some reason, once I've worked with a company or a client, they say, gosh, we want you back, which means for some reason, they feel like there's an ROI in, in bringing me in. Absolutely. And everything you have just described, your focus areas, the shift you see in those teams and individuals comes back to being human. Yep. And I want to highlight in particular the whole topic around diversity and inclusion. I think it's absolutely 100% important that we focus on it, that we make it a topic more than ever. However, I'm going to throw my little challenge in here. I don't know how I feel about diversity and inclusion as a function, as a title, making it a responsibility. I think from my perspective, and I've worked in big organizations where it is a separate department and function, it should be a part of every individual that you take responsibility for getting to know the people you work with, you interact with, you live with, whatever, you get an understanding for them. Everything you have explained in terms of understanding we could bring in the psychometric um, testing as well, their preferences mm -hmm. and understand how you communicate with them. And, and to really take ownership over understanding that you are an individual, they are uh, different individuals. How do you come together? Yeah. You know, I, so I would make a hybrid of both of those things. I would say it's everyone's responsibility because it's part of the culture and everyone makes up the culture. And so, you know, when I think of culture, I really think of the relationships that are happening within a company. That is the culture. And so if you don't have everyone being inclusive, you cannot have an inclusive culture. At the same time, I do think there, just like with many other functions within the business, there does need to be a, a, a driving point. There has to be some, something that is saying, okay, now how are we measuring it? How are we doing it? There's got to be almost a source of accountability and a vision for the future. Because the thing about diversity is the more diversity you get, the more you understand how much diversity changes. And it's this evolution because often we're really fighting against artificial barriers, right? There's, you know, the fact that we actually view people based on what is nothing more than skin color and a few mm -hmm. physical features is preposterous. Yeah. If you really think about how silly it is that we're viewing people based on you know, you have a different skin color than I have mm -hmm. and a different hair texture than I have. And so somehow that's a statement of the quality of person that we are. That's, it's insane that we yeah. do that, but yeah. we do, right? And, you know, we can get into the origins of all of that. So there needs to be, as it evolves, what happens is because bias is often thought of in terms of blind spots, the minute you start clearing up blind spots, <laughs> the more blind spots you realize you have. So, you know, so it's, it's a combination. All of us have to be involved in the work. It is not a one person's responsibility. And at the same point, then there also has to be a person or a council or a panel that is also saying, all right, so what next? What else do we have to attack in this thing? Because we're never there. 
And if you then on top of it, embed it in the values or really it's connected to the culture, bring it to life in every day's life, wherever you are, right. then it becomes really, really powerful. Yes. So let's go back for a minute or so to your book. I'm really curious about it because I haven't heard about the force multiplier before I met you and I've read about you. And as you mentioned, you have written a whole book about it. So what are the key insights that you share in this book when it comes to the force multiplier? So that's interesting. You know, and I think most people hadn't really heard of force multiplier. It is a military term. And it's also, it's really a term for a tool, right? Mm. It's a tool that, you know, if you put a certain amount of force or effort into it, it expands it. So like a lever, right? You push down on a lever, you're able to lift a large object because it multiplies the force. It's a very simple tool, but it's a force multiplier. The tools, they vary. So some of the tools, like there's a, a psychometric assessment of personalities. Okay. I believe that just like when we talk about diversity and inclusion in terms of skin, the fact that we have different personalities and because of that, different things that motivate us and drive us, understanding that so that we're able to not always use ourselves as a benchmark is really important. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a friend. He got, <laughs> he, this is a friend of mine who, he was one of those guys who never really dated just because he is really strange, right? And, and he always he? wanted to date these women that were like, yo, dude, that is never going to happen. Let me just tell you, that's not going to happen, okay? Uh, yeah. well, hold on, Tony. What makes him strange? Uh, everything. Everything. And, and here's the thing. Strange and lovable. He is, like, <laughs> we're friends to this day. But, you know, he, he, is, he is very outside of the norms, we'll say. Uh, in every, the way he thinks, the way he dresses, his personality. So it comes across as very awkward quite often, but people who know him love him, right? Mm -hmm. So we have a great friend group. He's part of it. So he finally dates this woman and they're, you know, perfect for each other. They get married and yet a Valentine's day comes around and he's never even had a girlfriend before. And he's got a wife for Valentine's day. And he's thinking, okay, what do I get her? I, I got to get her a present. So he, he calls me, he goes, man, I got, I found this perfect present for her. I'm really excited. And he keeps talking on and on and on and on and on about this Valentine's day present. So I'm finally like, okay, so what'd you get her? He goes, I bought her a jigsaw. And I'm like a power tool. You got her a, a what? And, you know, but what happened because he had never really been in this kind of relationship, he figured because he likes tools, certainly she would like tools too. Now, clearly I helped yes, him we fix them and we turned, but we do the same thing. We assume that because these things motivate me, if I give them to you, they'll motivate you as well. Mm -hmm. And we don't really account for each other's differences. Yeah. So one of the tools, you know, there's a, a significant portion in the book that really covers how do we deal with that? And how do we deal with that from their perspective? And from our perspective, how do we cover our blind spots in these areas? And people who read that, they get that it's not just about leadership. It ends up being a great tool to help with, you know, marriage. It's a great tool to help with parenting because, you know, if you have multiple children, you'll realize they're really different from one another. And so that ability helps. But then there's other very practical things. How to delegate. Because I don't think people really understand how to delegate. There's a difference between telling people what to do and then understanding how to delegate. How to 
And you know, one of the simplest things, having a great attitude every day, right? Sounds minor, but I remember when I became a leader and my mentors came up to me and said, Tony, congratulations. You just lost the luxury of having a bad day. And I was like, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of having a bad day as an actual luxury, but it is. When you have people that count on you and when you have people that rely on you, you having a bad day has a ripple effect on all of those people. And research shows, number one, just like yawning is contagious, smiling is contagious, emotions are contagious. Yeah. But there are, there's research that has been shown, especially like in sales teams, they can predict the productivity of the sales team by their emotional state. Mm. And so now we're saying, if you choose to have a bad day, if you allow yourself to be vulnerable, if you allow yourself to have a bad day, you've now affected a group of people in a negative way and it's going to show itself. And so, you know, being in control of your emotions, making sure that, you know, the idea of rewarding people when they do a great job and go above and beyond the call of duty, and yet also dealing with poor performance because a lot of times what happens is, A, people don't deal with poor performance because they're conflict avoiders, right? Yeah. And even when we talk about all of this emotion and holistic and authenticity, you still have to deal with bad attitudes and poor performance. You, 100%. That's part of what you've got to do, not only as a leader, as a human being, you got to mm -hmm. call that out. But A, people don't do that. And then B, the other part that happens is, you, know, you have some people that are working with you that are phenomenal, right? They're, they're just better performers than others, right? And you know what we reward them with? More work. Yes, correct. Right? And so now people learn, they figure it out. They're like, oh, so if I work harder, I don't get more money. I don't get a reward. I don't get an, a certificate or an attaboy or anything. I just get more work. And that becomes a huge demotivator. Yeah, things like that, you know, a lot of things that when you stand back, you go, oh, that makes sense, but you can't see it when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. You need to have these things pointed out. And some things are counterintuitive, but once, you, once they're pointed out and you make a real case for it, people are able to do amazing things. And I would add to um, these people who do amazing work, they don't just get more work, because I can always rely on them, right? They are doing the job great. So here we go. But quite often, they actually don't get enough recognition. And I remember one of my first mentors slash coaches that I've ever had, I was very young at this time. She basically stood in front of me and represented a scale. And she said, here's the thing. Most people go to work and they want to do an amazing job. They want to do something really good. And most people do. And there's a tiny amount of people who couldn't care less for whatever reasons. As leaders, quite often, or managers, in particular new managers, we focus on this tiny amount of people who are not willing to do a great job, who may not be caring in the way that I want them to care. But what about all these amazing performers? How often right. do I say, well done, that was incredible. Thank you so much. I appreciate what you're doing here. And no, not just absolutely. giving praise, right? It's so important. Yeah. It's, it's, it's critical. It's critical. It's absolutely a must. So if, if that happens, 
then what happens is next is that they lose loyalty, right? Yeah. Because they're going to go somewhere where they're treated better, especially because they're already high performers, they can get other jobs. Mm. And so they're going to go where, where they feel emotionally connected because that's where they will care. Yeah. And that's where they will be more engaged because they care. And so all these things that seem basic of almost human decency, right? Because now that comes down to being a better person. So we need to be able to say, okay, when our kids or when our friends or when anybody that we know, they're doing, you know, 98% of things right and 2% of things wrong, it's not always our responsibility to call out that 2%. Maybe it's our responsibility to praise them for the 98 and say, you're doing fantastic at that. And that will do worlds of good versus feeling, well, it's my job to call out the 2% so they can get the 100. Well, you know, that's almost the same as focusing on the two, you know, bad people versus the 98 great people. Exactly. Yeah. What a wonderful finish to this great conversation. Thank you so much, Tony. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we let you go, please do tell people where they can find you, where they can find your book in particular as well. So the book, The Force Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everyone Wins, that's on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, Audible. You can find it in all those places. Any place you can find a book or an audio book, you can get it. In terms of finding me, gosh, uh, my website, TonyChapman.com, C-H-A-T is a Tom, M-A-N. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all under LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, all under just at Tony Chapman. And for some reason on Instagram is Tony Chapman Speaks. You know, really the best place, go to the website, figure it out from there. You can email me through the website. I respond to everybody. So, you know, love to stay connected with people. Whatever is your social media platform of choice, find me there and we'll, work, we'll rock from there. Thank you so much again, Tony. Thanks, Kathleen. It's been great. It's been great to have another legendary leader here today with us. How amazing is it just to reflect up on different topics and perspectives of leadership. And then the goal is really for you to take one piece, just one piece with you where you say, ah, I'm going to take that with me. I'm going to practice that. Or I'm going to think differently about it and see how it works in my day to day. I think one of the key themes and learnings today was clearly care, genuinely care and be real when you do so in your personal life, in your professional life, wherever. So have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave us a wonderful review or some feedback as well in terms of what you want to hear more or less of, right? Your opinion matters. So let us know. Have a great rest of the week. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Legendary Leaders Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show, either on iTunes, Spotify, or on my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com, so that you can hear more about our next episodes. I would also love to hear from you. To discover what topics you'd like to listen to on this podcast, please head over to kathleenmerkel.com forward slash podcast and let me know. You can also find me on Facebook in the Legendary Leaders Facebook community. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to connecting with you again on our next episode of the Legendary Leaders Podcast. Take care. Bye.